We're in John chapter 9, and uh, the last time I spoke, I spoke about the fact that we all start off spiritually blind, and that continues to be the case unless God opens the eyes. And then we looked at a passage of Scripture that talked about those who were not only blind, but continue to go deeper into the darkness. Today I want to look at an account that's found in John chapter 9 that speaks about a man who was born blind that was touched by the Lord Jesus and was able to see. So we go from talking spiritually through the Scriptures of blindness to looking at the account of a blind man whose eyes were healed. And... uh, so set there on John chapter 9. After we pray, we'll jump in the message. Father, as the wonderful song proclaims, once I was blind, but now I see. Unless you open the eyes, Lord, we can't see. And I thank you, Father, for your glorious work. How you draw us and you love us and you speak to us help us to see you, Lord. This morning as we look at the story of the blind man and his sight being restored, uh, may that be the story of everyone here, and if not, then may today be the day they see. Lord, um, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would just continue in this service and that it would be evident that you're here. And I pray that you might be free to speak to each one of us as you desire. And just teach us from your word, Lord, and just speak to us, God, because we need to hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to actually look at a number of insights as I, as I walk down through John chapter 9 and as I looked at this miracle, this man being healed. And I want to share with you... Um, from some of those insights. Uh, First, I want you to notice, as I already mentioned, uh, he was born blind. He was always blind. And as I looked at this account, there were some high elite religious people, we know as the Pharisees, who were so caught up in the sin that they missed the sinner. You know, they looked at him and the first thing they said was, okay, whose fault is this? Uh, As we look at the first part of John 9, it says, uh, first from his disciples, they said, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And then we read down with the Pharisees later on that describe him as a sinner. And as I thought about this, for God's people, for those of us who have been transformed, set free, able to see now in the Lord, here's the challenge. If we are not careful, we too become like those religious elites where all that we see, guys, is the sin and miss the sinner. We get caught up in our Sunday school classes sometimes um, talking about how horrible the homosexuals are or, you know, point out another specific sin and, 
and you know talk about how that needs to be dealt with and and I am not saying that sin is not horrible. God hates sin because it destroys people. But if we're not careful, we get so hung up on the sin that we miss the sinner. We miss the fact that they're blind, that they're hurting. And and what's frightening about it is we tend a lot of times to treat people who are blind as if they've just got a, a, a problem with their eyesight, but they can still see. No, they're blind. They're spiritually unable to respond. Uh, recently in the news, um, there's been a whole bunch of uh, attention drawn to the fact, the fact that our next president, Barack Obama, has asked Rick Warren to speak at his inauguration. There's actually bickering and arguing on both sides of uh, philosophical uh, realm. There are those on the right that say, Rick Warren, he's a big name in the Southern Baptists, and, and you know, he, he believes the Bible, but how in the world could, could he support a, a political realm that, that's for abortion? And, and how in the world could, could he have these guys come in that, that have AIDS and, and that are, you know, for the homosexual lifestyle? And how could he do that? And then on the other side, you got Barack Obama, and, and he said, I want to reach across the aisles and I want to talk to people different. And so what's he do? He invites Rick Warren to pray, and all of a sudden the other side's like, how in the world could you do that? How could you have this guy who, he's just a homophobe, and, and how could you dare have him come and speak? And guys, it's the people that matter. These people that have AIDS, they're dying. Yeah, they, it, it, sin's involved, but what about the person? The person needs to be touched. The person needs to be cleansed. And, and I want to read to you, this is a statement, of course, this is what made the, uh, the left side so mad at Rick Warren. They had a, um, interview with him in regard to his stance on homosexual unions uh, being treated as marriage. It says, uh, talking to Rick, it says, um, he says, well, this is Rick talking, he says, I'm opposed to having a brother and sister be together and call that marriage. I'm opposed to an older guy marrying a child and calling that a marriage. I'm opposed to one guy having multiple wives and calling that marriage. Um, the other side, uh, do you think that those are equivalent to gays being married? Oh, I do. And then in a follow-up written by um, this same interviewer, says uh, Rick Warren writes, if anyone, whether unfaithful spouses or unmarried couples or homosexuals or anyone else think they are smarter than God and chooses to disobey God's sexual instructions, it's not the U.S. government's role to take away their choice, but neither is it the government's role to classify just any loving relationship as a marriage. A committed boyfriend-girlfriend relationship is not a marriage. Two lovers living together is not a marriage. Incest is not marriage. A domestic partnership or even a civil union is still not marriage. Um, and, and it goes on here. Uh, someone made the comment about uh, you know all this battle that is going on. 
and uh, writes, the fact that 70% of blacks supported Proposition 8 shows they don't believe it's a civil rights issue. It says, gays in California already have their rights. What they desire is approval and validation for those who disagree with them, and they are willing to force it by law if necessary. So, look, I'm not a, I'm not a, a huge Rick Warren advocate. This is really not about Rick Warren. It's about loving people. I'm not saying validate the sin. We're not to give validation to the sin, but we're also not to ignore the people. We're to care for the people because they're blind. This man was blind, and guys, that is the state of any of us without Christ. Secondly, along with that, blindness was all he knew. Uh, Look at verse 1. It says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, He had never seen through that window of the body called the eye. He didn't know what it was like to see a sun rise or a sun set. He didn't know what it was like to see a lovely, beautiful woman. He he didn't know what it was like to see. He, He had never seen with his eyes. I read a story this week about a guy named Thomas Seward. Um, from McGill University in Canada. And Seward, as a young man, he had an accident where he got a knife stuck in his eye. And so the doctor was going to <clears throat> operate and take out that eye that was injured in order to give him a better chance of, of being able to see because he was afraid it would affect his other eye as well. Well, he took out the wrong eye. And so Thomas Seward was totally blind. But he, had, but he wanted to go to McGill University and study law. And it's a great story. He went through um, McGill University and he graduated number one in his class. Isn't that amazing accomplishment? But you know what's even more amazing? The number two person in the class that year, McGill University, was Thomas Seward's brother who had read to him every book that needed to be read and had studied with him and went to class with him and was beside him every step of the way giving him what he needed in order to graduate and to succeed. Because he was totally blind. And guys, spiritually, the only way to success and victory is through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has to come along beside us and open our eyes and follow us and and give us the truth and show us the truth and make the truth come alive to us so that we can grasp it and understand it and find that truth, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. A third insight. It required the personal touch of the Master to be able to see. Uh, Look with me down in the text, uh, John 9, verses 6 and 7. Having said this, He, of course that's Jesus, spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, He told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home Saying. All right, next couple of verses. I, I just want to mention a, a few steps here that progressed in this guy receiving his sight. And I think it's true for anybody who was blind and is able to see in Jesus. Number one, 
I want you to notice Jesus saw him. It always starts there. The God of heaven, the Savior of all, sees you. He loves you. And He looks out and He sees you. Just as you are. He sees you clearly, guys. He sees you. I wonder at that moment, you know, the disciples, they asked Jesus about that man. Why? I think it's because they saw Jesus looking at that man. I think, I wonder, knowing Jesus, I believe there was probably a tear in his eye. Why? Because he loved that man. And he loves you. Secondly, not only did he see him, he moved toward the blind man. He approached him. He came near. Well, how do we know that? Because when he took the mud that he made, he put it on the man's eyes. Isn't it good to know that although I may strive to get close to God, that in the end He's always been trying to get close to me. You see, that's the heart of God. That's when salvation becomes real. God moves close! He comes near! I thought of a Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. It says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't that a great word? He's close to the one that's just totally brokenhearted. Crushed in spirit. I mean destroyed. Just depressed. But He's near. You see, Jesus saw the man, but that's not where it stopped. He moved close to the man. That's Jesus. Step three. Jesus touched him. He took those little mud balls and he placed them on the eyes of the man who was blind. We need the touch of Jesus. Jesus is more than an idea. He's more than just a person in history. He's the Savior, guys. And what matters is the personal touch. It's one thing to know about Jesus and it's something different to know Jesus and to try to communicate what it really means to know Jesus. But when you know Him, you know Him. In Mark chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, we read, Because of the crowd... He told His disciples to have a small boat ready for Him to keep the people from crowding Him. For He had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch Him. You see, they, the crowds had watched Jesus touch those who were sick, who, who, who had all kinds of diseases and ailments and struggles. And when Jesus touched them, they were changed. And when the crowd saw how these people were changed, how they were miraculously healed, they wanted to get near Jesus. They wanted to touch Jesus. And, and guys, have you been healed? If, if you've been healed, then what comes from you is the very power of Christ and others want that touch. And that's what happened here. Uh, step four. The blind man obeyed in faith. In verse seven, it says, Go, he said, wash in the pool of Siloam. So, so it says that he went 
and he washed. Now the Lord cares, the Lord comes close, and the Lord touches. But obedience is required. He does not force anyone to receive his invitation of eternal life. Guys, you can say no to him. He doesn't force. There has to be obedience. Not delay. I wonder, this is a quote from Thomas Campus. He wrote, Instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. <laughs> Delayed obedience is disobedience. Whoever strives to withdraw from obedience withdraws from grace. No obedience is to miss grace. Next point here. Uh, the blind who claimed they could see sought to discredit the new found sight. <laughs> of the healed man. Uh, Look with me at uh, verse 18 and 19 of John 9. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Isn't it amazing? They were there. They saw what Jesus did. They saw the miracles. They, they saw how He could see. And they wanted to disregard the miracle. You know, I thought about this. It was at the wrong time. You read on a little further, you find out it was on the Sabbath. And they said, well, you can't heal on the Sabbath. That's the day you can't do anything. Of course, we know another place. Jesus said, man, the Sabbath is God's way for man. It's not some way to trap God. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, Jesus said. But they were saying it's at the wrong time. Listen, there is never a wrong time to be touched by Jesus. There's just not. It was at the wrong place. It happened outside and all these crowds that were around and some people that were not church worthy. It happened there. It happened at the wrong place. Listen, I praise God that He can work anywhere. I'm grateful He works in sanctuaries and in scheduled worship services, but He's not confined to that. You know, I often think of these healers who talk about healing, but you've got to come to these services to get healed. Why don't they just go to the hospital and clear it out, man? Um, God is not confined to a certain building. He's not. But the Pharisees said it was in the wrong place. And then third, it was the wrong one who did it. They wanted the glory. They wanted to be the ones who got all the attention, who wanted to be exalted. Listen, if, if, if you think it's about you getting some kind of position or being somebody of influence or being an indispensable part of this church family, baloney, guys! Jesus is to be exalted and He is to be lifted up above all. It was in the wrong time, the wrong place, the wrong people. But it wasn't wrong. It was right. It was all right. Uh, next point. The healed one shared his personal experience. Look at verses 10 through 12. How then were your eyes open? They demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know. He said, Look, 
You don't have to know the answer to every question about the Bible or about God. You don't have to have every theological uh, tough question figured out. But guys, you do need to have the personal touch of Christ. You see, he took his story. He didn't try to explain everything. He just told his story. He just said, no, I was blind, now I can see. He touched me and I'm changed. I'm healed. That's what he shared. So I'm going to do something. You know, you're not supposed to do this in church, right? In the middle of a sermon. But I'm going to give you my, I want to hear from you guys. Somebody tell me, how has Jesus touched you? How has He changed you? I want to hear a word of testimony from you. Tell me, what, what, when did He touch you? Or how did He touch you? Or how's He touching you now? Somebody share. Alright guys, uh, next, uh, I'm getting near the end, don't worry. The blind chose to stay blind even though sight was available. Uh, look at, start at verse 24. <clears throat> the second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man's a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Get him. Okay, I've got to go. I've got this preacher in me. Couldn't help. Uh, then they hurled insults at him and said, You're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this were not from God, he could do nothing. <laughs> Look at their response after this. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Man. They had just seen Jesus do miracles and heal this man that was born blind and they heard the message clearly. They heard from this man about being touched personally by Jesus Christ. They heard the truth and it was so clear, but they did not want to hear it, so they threw Him out. The evidence can be so clear that Jesus Christ is Savior, that He's Lord, that He changes lives, that He saves, that He's hope. And yet people can still throw Him out of their lives. Man, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. Why? Because they wanted the glory and they didn't have room for somebody else to give the glory. Yeah, uh, verse 35 going on. Jesus heard they had thrown Him out. <laughs> and when He found Him, He said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is He, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in Him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Amen. Jesus said, For judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? 
Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Don't leave here today blind. Please. Jesus is the light of the world. Notice what he said up at the first part of John 9 as Jesus shared his own words. In verse 4 he said, As long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And He will speak to you and He loves you and He wants you to trust Him and He wants you to step out and to come before people and acknowledge Him as Lord. He wants you to do that. But you know what? You can say no. They said no. Don't say no. I'm going to close with this story about Ethan Allen. All you hear is furniture, I guess. Um, Ethan Allen was... a a man who wrote a book to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. He was not a friend of Christ. He was an enemy. But strangely enough, his wife loved Jesus. She died, and um, of course there was a lot of grief in the home. And a little girl really struggled. When Ethan Allen's daughter turned nine, they found out she had tuberculosis. In those days, that was a death sentence. And she began to wither away. And she struggled. She missed her mom so much. And her mom loved Jesus, but her dad hated Jesus. And her health continued to dwindle. And One day her dad came and he sat by her bed and grabbed her hand and held her hand and said, Honey, I love you. And she said, You know, Daddy, I'm going to die soon. And he was so struck with grief. This is the biographer. This is the words the biographer used that uh, he had said. Oh, no, my child. The spring is coming and with the birds and breezes in the bloom. Your pale cheeks will blush again with health. She said no. The doctor came earlier and told me that I would not be here long. And I said, it's not so bad. There's a world awaiting me. She turned to her father and she said, You will bury me by the side of mom, for that was her dying request. But father, you and mother have never agreed on religion. Mother often spoke to me of the blessed Savior who died for us all. And she used to pray for both you and me, that the Savior might be our friend, and that we might all see Him as our Savior when He sits enthroned in His glory. She looked with desperate eyes at her dad, and she said, I don't feel that I can go into death alone. Tell me, Father, whom shall I follow, you or mother? Shall I reject Christ as you've taught me, or shall I follow Him as mother taught me? He sat there a moment, tears began to flow, and he spoke. My child, 
Cling to your mother's Savior. She was right, and I too shall seek to follow you to that blessed place. If God's got a hold of your heart right now, it's not too late to say yes to Him and to trust Him, just like that dad who had fought Jesus for so long as he watched his precious girl dying. Finally, his eyes were opened. What about you today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. You are the light of the world. You've made it clear that we are in darkness. The only way to see is through Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning, if there is anyone here who has not trusted you and found the sight of Jesus, then I pray, Father, that would change right now. That person would say, Yes, Jesus, I love you. I need you to enter my heart. Forgive me. And that, Lord, anyone here who needs to come in obedience before this church body and say, Jesus is my Savior. I've trusted Him. I can see. And I need to be baptized in obedience and, and let others know how much I love Jesus. Anyone here, Father, speak to them, Lord. May they come. May they come. May they come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This altar is open for you to come and to pray. And if, if you need to come to the front, guys, now's the time. In the Psalms it says today is the day of salvation. Right now. He's waiting. His arms are open. We come. Let's sing. You stand. Will you come if Christ has called you?